Good morning, everyone. The reading this morning is from Hebrews 10, 1 to 39. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilt for their sin. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus of Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that, brings faith, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. 
and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Uh, we're spending a, a few weeks looking at some selected passages from uh, Hebrews and with the, with the aim of setting our priorities uh, for the year ahead. Last week, we looked at Hebrews chapter 1, uh, where we were, we were reminded of the priority of listening to Jesus. Jesus uh, is the full and final revelation from God. So priority number one for 2024 is listening. To Jesus. Today, we're coming to this passage uh, in chapter 10, and here we'll see the, the priority, the importance on keeping, of keeping trusting Jesus, and uh, no matter what, sticking with him, trusting him to the end. And uh, the, the, the message in Hebrews 10 is really at the heartbeat of the Christian faith. Uh, 2024 started. I wonder what your hopes and dreams are. For the year ahead? What are the, what are the things you want to do? What are the things you want to achieve? Uh, all of us uh, will have things we want to do, things we want to achieve. By the end of 2024, we want to look back and say we've achieved those things. And I, I take it most people don't make New Year's resolutions anymore, but we all have something, some things that we want to achieve in the year ahead. And you will put things into place to make sure those things happen. If you decide you want to get fitter, you might uh, join a gym. You might start going for a run. Um, you might uh, do various things to make sure you achieve your goals. What we see in Hebrews 10 is there's one goal that we don't need to work towards achieving. And it is the most important goal, the goal of being right with God. Hebrews 10 brings to conclusion an argument that spanned five chapters in Hebrews, so it would be good for you to go and read it uh, through the week. The author has been showing that Jesus is all that the Old Testament had been pointing to. The author's been comparing Jesus with various aspects of the Old Testament temporal sacrificial system, uh, and he's been showing that the Old Testament sacrificial system was merely a shadow, a reflection of what Jesus is. Jesus is greater. He is the reality. Old Testament things, they were merely a shadow. Jesus, we've seen, we see, is the true, the perfect high priest. He is the one who is the mediator of the better covenant. Now, in this chapter, as the author comes to his climax of this section, 
he compares Jesus' death on the cross to the sacrificial, the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And he shows that the sacrifices in the Old Testament were not enough to save. Uh, but Jesus' death on the cross, his one perfect, once-for-all sacrifice, can and does fully deal with sin. So on to our first point. Religion cannot save you. As some of the Hebrews, uh, in, some of the Christian Hebrews, were facing the temptation on going back to the Old Testament law, going back to a works-based religion. And in the first four verses of this chapter, the author looks at the Old Testament sacrifices, and he highlights various problems with them. In verse 1, we see that the Old Testament sacrifices did not work. They did not work in dealing with the problem of sin. Have a look at verse 1. It can never be by the same sacrifices repeatedly repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who are drawing near to worship. The sacrifices of bulls and goats cannot make you perfect. They cannot take away the fact that you are a sinner, that you stand guilty before God. The Old Testament sacrifices cannot bring salvation. They cannot make you perfect before God. So that's the first problem. The Old Testament sacrifices don't work. In verses 2 and 3, we see that the purpose of the Old Testament sacrificial system was to be an annual reminder of sin. And therefore, it's offered repeatedly, time and time again. The purpose of the sacrifice in the Old Testament wasn't to remove sin, but to remind us of sin. The the sacrifices could not remove sin. They were to be a reminder and to point forward to as a shadow of the thing that could really deal with the problem of sin. Uh, If you have uh, a loved one who goes away for a while, uh, you might keep a photo of that person uh, with you. The photo is a shadow. It's a picture of that person. Now, when that person comes back, how ridiculous would it be to keep focusing on the photo and not on the person? That's how the Old Testament sacrifices were. They were a picture, a shadow of the real sacrifice of Jesus. And in verse 4, we see that the Old Testament sacrificial system was inadequate. It wasn't fit for purpose. Verse 4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Bulls and goats were an inadequate substitute for human beings. How can an animal be a substitute for a human? It was inadequate. The point of these four verses is that the Old Testament temple system cannot save. Religion cannot save us. As C.S. Lewis famously said, that the difference between all religions and Christianity is the difference between do and done. All other religions require you to do something, to achieve your own salvation. Uh, whether it's the five pillars of Islam, whether it's obeying some laws, 
whether it's just living an upright and moral life. All these things are about what you do. Christianity, the Christian message, is not about what you do, but what God has done for you in Jesus. No amount of deeds, no amount of good works can make you right before God. And no amount of, of your efforts can make you perfect in God's eyes. The Hebrew Christians were facing the temptation of turning back from trusting Jesus and going back to the Old Testament law, to the sacrificial system. Uh, I take it, uh, those sitting here, none of us, or not many of us, would be tempted to go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. But what is it, what is it that in the year ahead could tempt you to turn back from trusting in Jesus? With all your desires and your ambitions for 2024, all that you want to achieve, there's one thing that you do not need to worry about. You do not need to work to achieving, and that is making yourself perfect before God. You cannot do it. You cannot do it by yourself. The only way your sin can be dealt with is through the one and only perfect sacrifice, through Jesus' death on the cross. And that brings us to the second point. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. From verse 5 on, there's this comparison between Jesus, his sacrifice, and the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Verse 5 to 7 contain a quote from Psalm 140, sorry, Psalm 40, and he applies these words to Jesus. He says that God neither desired nor was pleased with sacrifices and offerings. Yes, they were commanded in the Old Testament law, but they would not bring about a restored relationship with God. Psalm 40 looks ahead uh, to something more, to something better than those sacrifices. Verse 5 says, a body you have prepared for me. And verse 9 and 10 we see that because of Jesus coming into this world, the Old Testament sacrifices are abolished. They're done away with. The shadows, the picture, is no longer needed because the reality is here. In order to, for God to establish his purposes, for people to be made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The Old Testament sacrifices were a shadow, a picture, they were looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice, to Jesus. The Old Testament sacrifices were to be a reminder of sin, but now Jesus offers a once-for-all sacrifice, a sacrifice that can make you perfect before God. God's purpose has always been to redeem a people for himself, and his purpose has always been to do it through Jesus. The Old Testament was not um, option one, which failed, so God had to send option two, Jesus. The Old Testament was a shadow pointing to Jesus. God's purpose has always been to redeem people through the blood of his son. Jesus sacrifices the reality that the picture of the Old Testament was pointing to you. Verses 11 to 14, we see the repeated nature of the Old Testament sacrifice, and we see how this compares to Jesus. Jesus once for all 
sacrifice for sin. See, in the Old Testament, the, um, the priests would be offering sacrifice day in and day out. It was ongoing, repeated. But Jesus has offered a once-for-all perfect sacrifice so that it is done, it is finished. Uh, Have a look at how the priests are described in verse 12. Uh, Sorry, um, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Day after day. An ongoing, an ongoing job. They had to do it uh, time and time again, year in and year out. But now in verse 12, look at how Jesus is described. But when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Old Testament priests, every day, day in and day out. Jesus, once for all, perfect sacrifice for sin. Also, you get that picture of the the Old Testament priests standing day by day. They've got a job to do. They're standing. They're doing it over and over. Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. It's a picture of a finished work, a finished job. He's accomplished it. He's accomplished everything that is needed to make you right before God. Verse 15 uh, to 18, the author comes back to a quote from Jeremiah 31. And this is a quote that he, 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 he used in chapter 8 as well. The emphasis here is that the new covenant is based on forgiveness of sin. God will write the law on our hearts and minds. God will remember our sin and lawless deeds no more. Jesus' death on the cross is the one sacrifice, the true sacrifice, that can make us perfect before God. There's nothing else and no one else who can deal with sin. Religion does not work. Your own efforts uh, to be as good as you can is not good enough. It is only through Jesus, through his death on the cross, that you can be forgiven, that you can be perfect forever before God. If you're trusting in Jesus, if you keep trusting in him, then you are forgiven, and God sees you as perfect, as sinless, We've just had Christmas. Wonder what were some of the, the exciting Christmas presents you got. Maybe it was a boring Christmas for you this year. Think back in the past. What is the greatest gift you've ever received? Uh, how do you feel about the person who gave you that gift? And maybe it was an expensive gift. Maybe it cost them a lot of money. And maybe they had to make great sacrifices to give it to you. Jesus' death on the cross is the greatest gift that any of us will ever receive. He sacrificed himself for you. He gave up his life so that you can be perfect in God's eyes. How do you feel about Jesus? How much do you you delight in him? Praise God for what he's done for us. Surely we should be overflowing with thankfulness and praise for him at what he's done. It's so easy for the the message of Jesus' death just to to be so soft in us. But as we ponder it, as we think more about it, 
that he gave himself up. That's how much he loved you. He gave himself up for you. Shouldn't we be overflowing in thankfulness at that perfect sacrifice that brings us into a relationship with God? In the second half of this chapter, the author moves on to focus as to how we should be living now in light of this perfect sacrifice. And that brings us to our third point, living in light of Jesus' sacrifice. And we're going to spend just a little bit of time looking at the three main areas of application that he highlights. Uh, And it's these three main let us phrases. Verse 22, the first one, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Because of Jesus' death, because of his blood, we have full access to God. We can draw near to God. We can come before him confident of our forgiveness. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Uh, We deserve nothing more than God's judgment and his wrath because of our rebellion against him. But we can come into the presence of a holy God. We can stand before his presence, have a relationship with him because Jesus has taken our sin away. He's made us perfect. And this, this picture's in contrast to the picture that we see in the Old Testament. In chapter 9, verse 8, um, the, the way it's put there is, the way into the most holy place has not yet been opened. The Old Testament uh, temple system showed a separation between God and man. Because of sin, we couldn't come directly into God's presence. But now because Jesus has come, because he is the perfect sacrifice, because he has made us perfect in God's eyes, we can draw near to God with full assurance that faith brings. So do that. Draw near to God. Trust in him. Keep trusting in him. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient to perfect your soul. Our hearts have been sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and to have our bodies washed with pure water so we can draw near to God and we can stand before him forgiven, forgiven sinners, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. The second let us phrase uh, comes in verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, The the second point of application that the author picks up here is the, the point of endurance, holding fast, keeping going to the end. Uh, We are to keep holding fast to the hope that we profess, holding on to it, not letting go, holding on to it as if our life depends on it. Holding on is to trust in the promise of the gospel, to trust in Jesus, to trust in the, the sufficiency of his sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin. And the, the author adds a reason why we can hold fast, and why we can hold fast unswervingly, not moving. And it comes at the end of 23. He who promised is faithful. 
God is faithful. He has promised that we will be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And he has promised that he will bring his plan to fullness. So trust him. Keep trusting him. No matter what this year holds, trust him. He will do it. He can do it. Do not let go. Hold fast. The third let us phrase comes in verse 24 and 25. It says there, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The first two letters phrases really focused on our individual relationship with God, uh, trusting him, drawing near to him. Uh, This third one, highlights the responsibility that each one of us has towards one another. We are to consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. When you become a Christian, you are brought into a body of believers, part of a community, a body of believers that has a responsibility to one another, to encourage, to spur on, to support, to build up. Uh, It's so easy for us to have just a mere individualistic uh, view of our relationship with God. But the reality is it's far more than that. God has brought you to be part of a body of believers. He's given you to others, to love, to encourage, to spur on, to build up. And so we need to be doing that. Others need to be doing that to us. We have a responsibility to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We are to encourage one another in our walk with God, in our love for him, in our love for his people, in living in a way that pleases him. And we must consider this, that that word consider is think about, um, spend time thinking about it, and then be intentional in doing it. Uh, How should this affect the way uh, we spend our time after the service, uh, over tea or coffee, uh, the things that you speak about. Think about, consider, how can we be spurring one another on towards love and good deeds? Um, How should this change our conversations when we spend time together socially, when we have a, a meal together or go out for a coffee or go for a walk in the mountains? Are you using that time intentionally, purposefully, to encourage, to spur one another on? Maybe we need to think about um, who we can have around, who we can spend time with. And the author uh, continues to say that we, we must not neglect meeting together. If you are not meeting together, if you're not spending time together, you will not have an opportunity to spur one another on or to encourage one another in your relationship with God. Now, the meeting together that he's talking about here is not just our formal meetings, like church and growth groups, uh, although those are definitely included in what he's speaking about, but it's our all-round spending time together as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, spending time together so that we can encourage one another, that we can build each other up in our relationship with God. Let's make sure in 2024 we are carefully and intentionally thinking about how we can spend time with 
fellow believers and encourage them and spur them on. And again, uh, we get motivation in verse 25 as to why we should be doing this. Look in verse 25, uh, we are to do, be doing this more and more, uh, all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming back and we're going to spend eternity with him in his new creation. That is our future. That is the reality. That is where we need to be setting our eyes on. And the way that's going to happen is as we spur one another on, as we remind each other uh, about that truth and encourage one another to live in a way that pleases God. Now, there's a, there's a lot more in this passage, and we're not going to be able to uh, deal with all of it. Um, just to, to give a, a brief overview of the rest, uh, verse 26 to 31 uh, gives a strong warning about turning away, turning away from trusting in Jesus. Now, it's an important warning, a warning that we need to take seriously. If we stop trusting in Jesus, then there is no forgiveness of sin, and we will face God's judgment, his eternal judgment in hell. And then it ends with a, an encouragement to remember the gospel and to keep living by the gospel, trusting in Jesus and trusting in him alone. A 2024 has started. Your hopes, your dreams, uh, what will lie ahead of you in the year we will only see. But if, there's, if you're trusting in Jesus, then there's one thing you do not need to worry about, and that is the problem of your sin. Jesus has dealt with it. He's paid the ultimate price to bring you to God, to make you perfect in him. So keep trusting in him. Keep persevering. Keep persevering. Jesus is coming. Let's end by reading verse 36 to 39. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has, he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous one, uh, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. 2024, don't shrink back. Trust Jesus, keep trusting him, and then salvation is yours and is guaranteed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that... Through his death on the cross, everything has been done to deal with our rebellion against you. Father, we pray that in this year ahead that we will uh, trust in him and in him alone. Father, protect us from being tempted to trust in our own works and our own deeds, but help us to trust in him and him alone. And Father, we pray that you will use us uh, as a church family to encourage and spur one another on, to keep one another going in our relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.